Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray Chapter 6 Next morning Duane found that a moody and despondent spell had fastened on him. Wishing to be alone, he went out and walked a trail, leading round the river bluff. He thought and thought. After a while he made out that the trouble with him probably was that he could not resign himself to his fate. He abhorred the possibility chance seemed to hold in store for him. He could not believe there was no hope, but what to do appeared beyond his power to tell. Duane had intelligence and keenness enough to see his peril, the danger threatening his character as a man, just as much as that which threatened his life. He cared vastly more, he discovered, for what he considered honor and integrity than he did for life. He saw that it was bad for him to be alone. But, it appeared, lonely months and perhaps years inevitably must be his. Another thing puzzled him. In the bright light of day he could not recall the state of mind that was his at twilight or dusk or in the dark night. By day these visitations became to him what they really were, phantoms of his conscience. He could dismiss the thought of them then. He could scarcely remember or believe that this strange feat of fancy or imagination had troubled him, pained him, made him sleepless and sick. That morning Duane spent an unhappy hour wrestling decision out of the unstable condition of his mind. But at length he determined to create interest in all that he came across, and so forget himself as much as possible. He had an opportunity now to see just what the outlaw's life really was. He meant to force himself to be curious, sympathetic, clear-sighted, and he would stay there in the valley until its possibilities had been exhausted, or until circumstances sent him out upon his uncertain way. When he returned to the shack, Euchre was cooking dinner. "'Say, Buck, I've news for you,' he said, and his tone conveyed either pride in his possession of such news, or pride in Duane. Feller named Bradley rode in this morning. He's heard some about ye. Told about the ace of spades they put over the bullet holes in that cowpuncher Bane you plugged. 
Then there was a rancher shot at a water hole twenty miles south of Wellston. Reckon you didn't do it? No, I certainly did not, replied Duane. Well, you get the blame. It ain't nothing for a feller to be saddled with gun plays he never made. And, Buck, if you ever get famous, as seems likely, you'll be blamed for many a crime. The border'll make an outlaw and murderer out of you. Well, that's enough of that. I've more news. You're going to be popular. Popular? What do you mean? I met Bland's wife this morning. She seen you the other day when you rode in. She sure wants to meet you, and so do some of the other women in camp. They always want to meet the new fellers who just come in. It's lonesome for women here, and they like to hear news from the towns. Well, Euchre, I don't want to be impolite, but I'd rather not meet any women, rejoined Duane. I was afraid you wouldn't. Don't blame you much. Women are hell. I was hoping, though, you might talk a little to that poor lonesome kid. What kid? inquired Duane in surprise. Didn't I tell you about Jenny, the girl Bland's holding here? The one Jack Rabbit Benson had a hand in stealing? You mentioned a girl, that's all. Tell me now, replied Duane abruptly. Well, I got it this way. Maybe it's straight, maybe it ain't. Some years ago, Benson made a trip over the river to buy a muscal and other drinks. He'll sneak over there once in a while. And as I get it, he run across a gang of greasers with some gringo prisoners. I don't know, but I reckon there was some bartering, perhaps murdering. Anyway, Benson fetched the girl back. She was more dead than alive. But it turned out she was only starved and scared half to death. She hadn't been harmed. I reckon she was then about fourteen years old. Benson's idea, he said, was to use her in his den selling drinks and the like. But I never went on Jackrabbit's word. Bland seen the kid right off and took her. Bought her from Benson. You can gamble Bland didn't do that from notions of chivalry. I ain't gainsaying, however, but that Jenny was better off with Kate Bland. She's been hard on Jenny, but she's kept Bland and the other men from treating the kid shameful. Late Jenny has growed into an all-fired pretty girl, and Kate is powerful jealous of her. I can see a hell brewing over there in Bland's cabin. That's why I wish you'd come over with me. Bland's hardly ever home. His wife's invited you. Sure, if she gets sweet on you, as she has on, well, that'd complicate matters. But you get to see Jenny, and maybe you could help her. Mind, I ain't hintin' nothin'. I just want to put her in your way. You're a man that can think for yourself. I had a baby girl once. And if she'd live, she'd be as big as Jenny now. And by God, I wouldn't want her here in Bland's camp. I'll go, Euchre. Take me over, replied Duane. He felt Euchre's eyes upon him. The old outlaw, however, had no more to say. In the afternoon, Euchre set off with Duane, and soon they reached Bland's cabin. 
Duane remembered it as the one where he had seen the pretty woman watching him ride by. He could not recall what she looked like. The cabin was the same as the other adobe structures in the valley, but it was larger and pleasantly located rather high up in a grove of cottonwoods. In the windows and upon the porch were evidences of a woman's hand. Through the open door Duane caught a glimpse of bright Mexican blankets and rugs. Euchre knocked upon the side of the door. "'Is that you, Euchre?' asked a girl's voice, low, hesitatingly. The tone of it, rather deep and with a note of fear, struck Duane. He wondered what she would be like. "'Yes, it's me, Jenny. Where's Mrs. Bland?' answered Euchre. "'She went over to Dagger's. There's somebody sick,' replied the girl." Euchre turned and whispered something about luck. The snap of the outlaw's eyes was added significance to Duane. "'Jenny, come out, or let us come in. Here's the young man I was telling you about,' Euchre said. "'Oh, I can't. I look so—so—' so... "'Never mind how you look,' interrupted the outlaw in a whisper. "'It ain't no time to care for that. Here's young Duane. Jenny, he's no rustler.' no thief he's different come out jenny and maybe he'll euchre did not complete his sentence he had spoken low with his glance shifting from side to side but what he said was sufficient to bring the girl quickly she appeared in the doorway with downcast eyes and a stain of red in her white cheek she had a pretty sad face and bright hair don't be bashful jenny said euchre you and Duane have a chance to talk a little. Now I'll go fetch Mrs. Bland, but I won't be hurrying. With that, Euchre went away through the cottonwoods. I'm glad to meet you, Miss... Miss Jenny, said Duane. Euchre didn't mention your last name. He asked me to come over to... Duane's attempt at pleasantry halted short when Jenny lifted her lashes to look at him. Some kind of a shock went through Duane. Her gray eyes were beautiful, but it had not been beauty that cut short his speech. He seemed to see a tragic struggle between hope and doubt that shone in her piercing gaze. She kept looking, and Duane could not break the silence. It was no ordinary moment. "'What did you come here for?' she asked at last. "'To see you,' replied Duane. "'Why?' Well, Euchre thought he wanted me to talk to you, cheer you up a bit, replied Duane, somewhat lamely. The earnest eyes embarrassed him. Euchre's good. He's the only person in this awful place who's been good to me. But he's afraid of Bland. He said you were different. Who are you? Duane told her. You're not a robber or a rustler or murderer or some bad man come here to hide? No, I'm not, replied Duane, trying to smile. Then why are you here? I'm on the dodge. You know what that means. I got in a shooting scrape at home and had to run off. When it blows over, I hope to go back. But you can't be honest here? Yes, I can. Oh, I know what these outlaws are. Yes, you're different. 
She kept the strained gaze upon him, but hope was kindling, and the hard lines of her youthful face were softening. Something sweet and warm stirred deep in Duane as he realized the unfortunate girl was experiencing a birth of trust in him. "'Oh, God, maybe you're the man to save me, to take me away before it's too late.' Duane's spirit leaped. "'Maybe I am,' he replied instantly. She seemed to check a blind impulse to run into his arms. Her cheek flamed, her lips quivered, her bosom swelled under her ragged dress. Then the glow began to fade. Doubt once more assailed her. "'It can't be. You're only—' "'After me, too, like Bland, like all of them.' Duane's long arms went out, and his hands clasped her shoulders. He shook her. "'Look at me, straight in the eye. There are decent men. Haven't you a father, a brother?' "'They're dead, killed by raiders. We lived in Dimmick County. I was carried away,' Jenny replied hurriedly. She put up an appealing hand to him. "'Forgive me. I believe. I know you're good. I was only—I live so much in fear. I'm half crazy. I've almost forgotten what good men are like, Mr. Twain. You'll help me?' "'Yes, Jenny, I will. Tell me how. What must I do? Have you any plan?' "'Oh, no. But take me away.' "'I'll try,' said Duane simply. "'That won't be easy, though. I must have time to think. You must help me. There are many things to consider. Horses, food, trails, and then the best time to make the attempt. Are you watched, kept prisoner?' "'No. I could have run off lots of times. But I was afraid.' I'd only have fallen into worse hands. Euchre has told me that. Mrs. Bland beats me, half-starves me, but she has kept me from her husband and these other dogs. She's been as good as that, and I'm grateful. She hasn't done it for love of me, though. She always hated me, and lately she's growing jealous. There was a man came here by the name of Spence, so he called himself. He tried to be kind to me, but she wouldn't let him. She was in love with him. She's a bad woman. Bland finally shot Spence, and that ended that. She's been jealous ever since. I hear her fighting with Bland about me. She swears she'll kill me before he gets me. And Bland laughs in her face. Then I've heard Chess Alloway try to persuade Bland to give me to him. But Bland doesn't laugh then. Just lately, before Bland went away, things almost came to a head. I couldn't sleep. I wish Mrs. Bland would kill me. I'll certainly kill myself if they ruin me. Duane, you must be quick if you'd save me. I realize that, replied he thoughtfully. I think my difficulty will be to fool Mrs. Bland. If she suspected me, she'd have the whole gang of outlaws on me at once. She would, that. You've got to be careful, and quick. What kind of woman is she? inquired Duane. She's... she's brazen. I've heard her with her lovers. They get drunk sometimes when Bland's away. She's got a terrible temper. She's vain. 
She likes flattery. Oh, you could fool her easy enough if you'd lower yourself to—to—to to, to make love to her, interrupted Duane. Jenny bravely turned shamed eyes to meet his. My girl, I'd do worse than that to get you away from here, he said bluntly. But, Duane, she faltered, and again she put out the appealing hand. Bland will kill you. Duane made no reply to this. He was trying to still a rising strange tumult in his breast. The old emotion, the rush of an instinct to kill. He turned cold all over. "'Chess Alloway will kill you if Bland doesn't,' went on Jenny, with her tragic eyes on Duane's. "'Maybe he will,' replied Duane. It was difficult for him to force a smile, but he achieved one. "'Oh, better take me off at once,' she said. "'Save me without risking so much, without making love to Mrs. Bland.' "'Surely, if I can. There, I see you could come in with a woman.' That's her. Oh, she mustn't see me with you. Wait a moment, whispered Duane, as Jenny slipped indoors. We've settled it. Don't forget. I'll find some way to get word to you, perhaps through Euchre. Meanwhile, keep up your courage. Remember, I'll save you somehow. We'll try a strategy first. Whatever you see or hear me do, don't think less of me. Jenny checked him with a gesture and a wonderful gray flash of eyes. "'I'll bless you with every drop of blood in my heart,' she whispered passionately. It was only as she turned away into the room that Duane saw she was lame, and that she wore Mexican sandals over bare feet. He sat down upon a bench on the porch and directed his attention to the approaching couple. The trees of the grove were thick enough for him to make reasonably sure that Mrs. Bland had not seen him talking to Jenny. When the outlaw's wife drew near, Duane saw that she was a tall, strong, full-bodied woman, rather good-looking, with a full-blown, bold attractiveness. Duane was more concerned with her expression than with her good looks, and as she looked unsuspicious he felt relieved. The situation then took on a singular zest. Euchre came up on the porch and awkwardly introduced Duane to Mrs. Bland. She was young, probably not over twenty-five, and not quite so prepossessing at close range. Her eyes were large, rather prominent, and brown in color. Her mouth, too, was large, with the lips full, and she had white teeth. Duane took her proffered hand and remarked frankly that he was glad to meet her. Mrs. Bland appeared pleased and her laugh, which followed, was loud and rather musical. "'Mr. Duane, Buck Duane, Euchre said, didn't he?' she asked. "'Buckley,' corrected Duane. "'The nickname's not of my choosing.' "'I'm certainly glad to meet you, Buckley Duane,' she said, as she took the seat Duane offered her. "'Sorry to have been out. Kid Fuller's lying over at Dagger's. You know he was shot last night.' He's got fever today. When Bland's away, I have to nurse all these shot-up boys, and it sure takes my time. Have you been waiting here alone? Didn't see that slattern girl of mine? She gave him a sharp glance. The woman had an extraordinary play of feature, Twain thought, and unless she was smiling was not pretty at all. I've been alone, 
replied Duane. "'Haven't seen anybody but a sick-looking girl with a bucket, and she ran when she saw me.' "'That was Jen,' said Mrs. Bland. "'She's the kid we keep here, and she hardly pays her keep. Did Euchre tell you about her?' "'Now that I think of it, he did say something or other.' "'What did he tell you about me?' bluntly asked Mrs. Bland. "'Well, Kate,' replied Euchre, speaking for himself, "'you needn't worry none, for I told Buck nothing but compliments.' Evidently the outlaw's wife liked Euchre, for her keen glance rested with amusement upon him. "'As for Jan, I'll tell you her story some day,' went on the woman. "'It's a common enough story along this river.' Yuka here is a tender-hearted old fool, and Jen has taken him in. Well, seeing as how you got me figured correct, replied Euchre dryly, I'll go in and talk to Jenny, if I may. Certainly, go ahead. Jen calls you her best friend, said Mrs. Bland amiably. You're always fetching some Mexican stuff, and that's why, I guess. When Euchre had shuffled into the house, Mrs. Bland turned to Duane with curiosity and interest in her gaze. "'Bland told me about you.' "'What did he say?' queried Duane in pretended alarm. "'Oh, you needn't think he's done you dirt. Bland's not that kind of a man. He said, "'Kate, there's a young fellow in camp, rode in here on the dodge. He's no criminal, and he refused to join my band.' Wish he would. Slickest hand with a gun I've seen for many a day. I'd like to see him and Chess meet out there in the road. Then Bland went on to tell how you and Bossomer came together. What did you say? inquired Duane as she paused. Me? Why, I asked him what you looked like, she replied gaily. Well, went on Duane. Magnificent chap, Bland said bigger than any man in the valley, just a great blue-eyed, sunburned boy. Huh! exclaimed Duane. I'm sorry he led you to expect somebody worth seeing. But I'm not disappointed, she returned archly. Duane, are you going to stay here long in camp? Yes, till I run out of money and have to move. Why? Mrs. Bland's face underwent one of the singular changes the smiles and flushes and glances, all that had been coquettish about her, had lent her a certain attractiveness, almost beauty and youth, but with some powerful emotion she changed and instantly became a woman of discontent, Duane imagined, of deep, violent nature. "'I'll tell you, Duane,' she said earnestly, "'I'm sure glad if you mean to bide here a while. I'm a miserable woman, Duane.' I'm an outlaw's wife, and I hate him and the life I have to lead. I come of a good family in Brownsville. I never knew Bland was an outlaw till long after he married me. We were separated at times, and I imagined he was away on business. But the truth came out. Bland shot my own cousin, who told me. My family cast me off, and I had to flee with Bland. I was only eighteen then. I've lived here since. I never see a decent woman or man. I never hear anything about my old home or folks or friends. I'm buried here, 
buried alive with a lot of thieves and murderers. Can you blame me for being glad to see a young fellow, a gentleman, like the boys I used to go with? I tell you it makes me feel full. I want to cry. I'm sick for somebody to talk to. I have no children, thank God, and if I had I'd not stay here. I'm sick of this hole. I'm lonely. There appeared to be no doubt about the truth of all this. Genuine emotion checked, then halted the hurried speech. She broke down and cried. It seemed strange to Duane that an outlaw's wife, and a woman who fitted her consort and the wild nature of their surroundings, should have weakness enough to weep. Duane believed and pitied her. "'I'm sorry for you,' he said. "'Don't be sorry for me,' she said. "'That only makes me see the, the difference between you and me. And don't pay any attention to what these outlaws say about me. They're ignorant. They couldn't understand me. You'll hear that Bland killed men who ran after me, but that's a lie.' Bland, like all the other outlaws along this river, is always looking for somebody to kill. He swears not, but I don't believe him. He explains that gunplay gravitates to men who are the real thing, that it is provoked by the four-flushes, the bad man. I don't know. All I know is that somebody's being killed every other day. He hated Spence before Spence ever saw me. Would bland object if i called on you occasionally inquired duane no he wouldn't he likes me to have friends ask him yourself when he comes back the trouble has been that two or three of his men fell in love with me and when half drunk got to fighting you're not going to do that i'm not going to get half drunk that's certain replied duane he was surprised to see her eyes dilate then glow with fire. Before she could reply, Euchre returned to the porch, and that put an end to the conversation. Duane was content to let the matter rest there, and had little more to say. Euchre and Mrs. Bland talked and joked, while Duane listened. He tried to form some estimate of her character. Manifestly, she had suffered a wrong, if not worse, at Bland's hands. She was bitter, morbid, over-emotional. If she was a liar, which seemed likely enough, she was a frank one and believed herself. She had no cunning. The thing which struck Duane so forcibly was that she thirsted for respect. In that, better than in her weakness of vanity, he thought he had discovered a trait through which he could manage her. Once, while he was revolving these thoughts, he happened to glance into the house and deep in the shadow of a corner he caught a pale gleam of Jenny's face with great, staring eyes on him. She had been watching him, listening to what he said. He saw from her expression that she had realized what had been so hard for her to believe. Watching his chance, he flashed a look at her, and then it seemed to him the change in her face was wonderful. Later, after he had left Mrs. Bland with a meaning, Adios, manana, and was walking along beside the old outlaw, he found himself thinking of the girl instead of the woman, and of how he had seen her face blaze with hope and gratitude. End of chapter
This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray. Chapter 7 That night Duane was not troubled by ghosts haunting his waking and sleeping hours. He awoke feeling bright and eager, and grateful to Euchre for having put something worth while into his mind. During breakfast, however, he was unusually thoughtful, working over the idea of how much or how little he would confide in the outlaw. He was aware of Euchre's scrutiny. Well, began the old man at last, how'd you make out with the kid? Kid? inquired Duane tentatively. Jenny, I mean. What'd you and she talk about? We had a little chat. You know you wanted me to cheer her up. Euchre sat with coffee cup poised and narrow eyes studying Duane. Reckon you cheered her all right. What I'm afeard of is maybe you done the job too well. How so? Well, when I was in the gin last night, I thought she was half crazy. She was bursting with excitement, and the look in her eyes hurt me. She wouldn't tell me a darn word you said. But she hung on to my hands and showed every way without speaking how she wanted to thank me for bringing you over. Buck, it was plain to me that you'd either gone the limit, or else you'd been kind of prodigal of cheer and hope. I'd hate to think you'd led Jenny to hope more than ever would come true. Euchre paused, and as there seemed no reply forthcoming, he went on. Buck, I seen some outlaws whose word was good. Mine is. You can trust me. I trusted you, didn't I, taking you over there and putting you wise to my trying to help that poor kid? Thus enjoined by Euchre, Duane began to tell the conversations with Jenny and Mrs. Bland word for word. Long before he had reached an end, Euchre set down the coffee cup and began to stare, and at the conclusion of the story his face lost some of its red color, and beads of sweat stood out thickly on his brow. "'Well, if that doesn't floor me!' he ejaculated, blinking at Duane. "'Young man, I figured you was some swift, and sure to make your mark on this river, but I reckon I missed your real caliber.' So that's what it means to be a man. I guess I'd forgot. Well, I'm old, and even if my heart was in the right place, I never was built for big stunts. Do you know what it'll take to do all you promised Jen? I haven't any idea, replied Duane gravely. You'll have to pull the wool over Kate Bland's eyes, and even if she falls in love with you, which sure likely, that won't be easy, and she'd kill you in a minute, Buck, if she ever got wise. You ain't mistaken her none, are you? Not me, Euchre. She's a woman. I'd fear her more than any man. Well, you'll have to kill Bland and Chess Alloway and Rugg, and maybe some others before you can ride off into the hills with that girl. Why? Can't we plan to be nice to Mrs. Bland and then at some opportune time sneak off without any gunplay? Don't see how on earth, replied Euchre earnestly. 
When Bland's away, he leaves all kinds of spies and scouts watching the valley trails. They've all got rifles. You couldn't get by them. But when the boss is home, there's a difference. Only, of course, him and Chess keep their eyes peeled. They both stay to home pretty much, except when they're playing Monte or poker over at Benson's. So I say the best bet is to pick out a good time in the afternoon, drift over careless-like with a couple of hosses, choke Mrs. Bland or knock her on the head, take Jenny with you, and make a rush to get out of the valley. If you had luck, you might pull that stunt without throwing a gun. But I reckon the best figuring would include dodging some lead and leaving at least Bland or Alloway dead behind you. I'm figuring, of course, that when they come home and find out you're visiting Kate frequent, they'll just naturally look for results. Chess don't like you, for no reason except you're swift on the draw, maybe swifter than him. That's the hell of this gunplay business. No one can ever tell who's the swifter of two gunmen till they meet. That fact holds a fascination maybe you'll learn some day. Bland would treat you civil unless there was reason not to, and then I don't believe he'd invite himself to a meeting with you. He'd set chess or rug to put you out of the way. Still, Bland's no coward, and if you came across him at a bad moment, you'd have to be quicker than you was with Bossomer. All right, I'll meet what comes, said Duane quickly. The great point is to have horses ready and pick the right moment, then rush the trick through. That's the only chance for success, and you can't do it alone. I'll have to. I wouldn't ask you to help me. Leave you behind. Well, I'll take my chances, replied Euchre gruffly. I'm going to help Jenny. You can gamble your last peso on that. There's only four men in this camp who would shoot me. Bland, in his right-hand pards, and that rabbit-faced Benson. If you happened to put out Bland and Chess, I'd stand a good show with the other two. Anyway, I'm old and tired. What's the difference if I do get plugged? I can risk as much as you, Buck, even if I am afraid of gunplay. You said correct. Horses ready, the right minute, then rush the trick. That much is settled. Now let's figure all the little details. They talked and planned. Though in truth it was Euchre who planned, Duane who listened and agreed. While awaiting the return of Bland and his lieutenants, it would be well for Duane to grow friendly with the other outlaws, to sit in a few games of Monte, or show a willingness to spend a little money. The two schemers were to call upon Mrs. Bland every day, Euchre to carry messages of cheer and warning to Jenny, Duane to blind the elder woman at any cost. These preliminaries decided upon, they proceeded to put them into action. No hard task was it to win the friendship of the most of these good-natured outlaws. They were used to men of a better order than theirs coming to the hidden camps, and sooner or later sinking to their lower level. Besides, with them everything was easy come, easy go. That was why life itself went on so carelessly, and usually ended so cheaply. There were men among them, however, that made Duane feel that terrible, inexplicable wrath rise in his breast. He could not bear to be near them. He could not trust himself. He felt that any instant a word, a deed, 
Something might call too deeply to that instinct he could no longer control. Jackrabbit Benson was one of these men. Because of him and other outlaws of his ilk, Duane could scarcely ever forget the reality of things. This was a hidden valley, a robber's den, a rendezvous for murderers, a wild place stained red by deeds of wild men. And because of that there was always a charged atmosphere. The merriest, idlest, most careless moment might in the flash of an eye end in ruthless and tragic action. In an assemblage of desperate characters it could not be otherwise. The terrible thing that Duane sensed was this. The valley was beautiful, sunny, fragrant, a place to dream in. The mountain tops were always blue or gold-rimmed. The yellow river slid slowly and majestically by. The birds sang in the cottonwoods. The horses grazed and pranced. Children played, and women longed for love, freedom, happiness. The outlaws rode in and out, free with money and speech. They lived comfortably in their adobe homes, smoked, gambled, talked, laughed, whiled away the idle hours, and all the time life there was wrong, and the simplest moment might be precipitated by that evil into the most awful of contrasts. Twain felt rather than saw a dark, brooding shadow over the valley. Then, without any solicitation or encouragement from Duane, the bland woman fell passionately in love with him. His conscience was never troubled about the beginning of that affair. She launched herself. It took no great perspicuity on his part to see that. And the thing which evidently held her in check was the newness, the strangeness, and for the moment the all-satisfying fact of his respect for her. Duane exerted himself to please, to amuse, to interest, to fascinate her, and always with deference. That was his strong point, and it had made his part easy so far. He believed he could carry the whole scheme through without involving himself any deeper. He was playing at a game of love, playing with life and deaths. Sometimes he trembled, not that he feared Bland or Alloway or any other man, but at the deeps of life he had come to see into. He was carried out of his old mood. Not once since this daring motive had stirred him had he been haunted by the phantom of Bane beside his bed. Rather had he been haunted by Jenny's sad face, her wistful smile, her eyes. He never was able to speak a word to her. What little communication he had with her was through Euchre, who carried short messages. But he caught glimpses of her every time he went to the bland house. She contrived somehow to pass door or window to give him a look when chance afforded. And Duane discovered with surprise that these moments were more thrilling to him than any with Mrs. Bland. Often Duane knew Jenny was sitting just inside the window, and then he felt inspired in his talk, and it was all made for her. So at least she came to know him while as yet she was almost a stranger. Jenny had been instructed by Euchre to listen, to understand that this was Duane's only chance to help keep her mind from constant worry, to gather the import of every word which had a double meaning. Euchre said that the girl had begun to wither under the strain, to burn up with intense hope which had flamed within her. But all the difference Duane could see was a paler face and darker, more wonderful eyes. 
The eyes seemed to be entreating him to hurry, that time was flying, that soon it might be too late. Then there was another meaning in them, a light, a strange fire wholly inexplicable to Duane. It was only a flash gone in an instant, but he remembered it because he had never seen it in any other woman's eyes. And all through those waiting days he knew that Jenny's face, and especially the warm, fleeting glance she gave him, was responsible for a subtle and gradual change in him. This change, he fancied, was only that through remembrance of her he got rid of his pale, sickening ghosts. One day a careless Mexican threw a lighted cigarette up into the brush matting that served as a ceiling for Benson's den, and there was a fire which left little more than the adobe walls standing. The result was that while repairs were being made there was no gambling and drinking. Time hung very heavily on the hands of some two-score outlaws. Days passed by without a brawl, and Bland's Valley saw more successive hours of peace than ever before. Duane, however, found the hours anything but empty. He spent more time at Mrs. Bland's. He walked miles on all the trails leading out of the valley. He had a care for the condition of his two horses. Upon his return from the latest of these tramps, Euchre suggested that they go down to the river to the boat landing. "'Ferry couldn't run ashore this morning,' said Euchre. "'River getting low and sandbars making it hard for horses. There's a greaser freight wagon stuck in the mud. I reckon we might hear news from the freighters. Bland's supposed to be in Mexico.' Nearly all the outlaws in camp were assembled on the river bank, lolling in the shade of the cottonwoods. The heat was oppressive. Not an outlaw offered to help the freighters, who were trying to dig a heavily freighted wagon out of the quicksand. Few outlaws would work for themselves, let alone for the despised Mexicans. Duane and Euchre joined the lazy group and sat down with them. Euchre lighted a black pipe and drawing his hat over his eyes, lay back in comfort after the manner of the majority of the outlaws. But Duane was alert, observing, thoughtful. He never missed anything. It was his belief that any moment an idle word might be of benefit to him. Moreover, these rough men were always interesting. "'Bland's been chased across the river,' said one. "'Nah, he's delivering cattle to that Cuban ship,' replied another. "'Big deal on, hey?' "'Some big. Rugg says the boss had an order for fifteen thousand. "'Say, that order'll take a year to fill.' "'Nah, Harden is in cahoots with Bland. Between them they'll fill orders bigger than that.' "'Wonder what Harden was rustling in here for.' Duane could not possibly attend to all the conversation among the outlaws. He endeavored to get the drift of talk nearest to him. "'Kid Fuller's going to cash,' said a sandy-whiskered little outlaw. "'So Jim was telling me. Blood poison, ain't it? That hole wasn't bad, but he took the fever,' rejoined a comrade. "'Dagger said the kid might pull through if he had nursing.' Well, Kate Bland ain't nursing any shot-up boys these days. She hasn't got time. A laugh followed this sally, then came a penetrating silence. 
Some of the outlaws glanced good-naturedly at Duane. They bore him no ill will. Manifestly they were aware of Mrs. Bland's infatuation. "'Pete, pears to me you said that before.' "'Sure. Well, it's happened before.' This remark drew louder laughter and more significant glances at Duane. He did not choose to ignore them any longer. "'Boys, poke all the fun you like at me, but don't mention any lady's name again. My hand is nervous and itchy these days.' He smiled as he spoke, and his speech was drawled, but the good humor in it no wise weakened it. Then his latter remark was significant to a class of men who, from inclination and necessity, practiced at gun-drawing until they wore callous and sore places on their thumbs, and inculcated in the very deeps of their nervous organization, a habit that made even the simplest and most innocent motion of the hand end at or near the hip. There was something remarkable about a gunfighter's hand. It never seemed to be gloved, never to be injured, never out of sight or in an awkward position. There were grizzled outlaws in that group, some of whom had many notches on their gun-handles, and they, with their comrades, accorded Duane silence that carried conviction of the regard in which he was held. Duane could not recall any other instance when he had let fall a familiar speech to these men, and certainly he had never before hinted of his possibilities. He saw instantly that he could not have done better. "'Arful hot, ain't it?' remarked Bill Black presently. Bill could not keep quiet for long. He was a typical Texas desperado, had never been anything else. He was stoop-shouldered and bow-legged for much riding, a wiry little man, all muscle, with a square head, a hard face partly black from scrubby beard and red from sun, and a bright, roving, cruel eye. His shirt was open at the neck, showing a grizzled breast. "'Is any guy in this here outfit sport enough to go swimming?' he asked. "'My God, Bill, you ain't a-going to wash!' exclaimed a comrade. This raised a laugh in which Black joined, but no one seemed eager to join him in a bath. "'Latest outfit I ever rustled with,' went on Bill discontentedly. "'Nothing to do. Say, if nobody wants to swim, maybe some of you'll gamble?' He produced a dirty pack of cards and waved them at the motionless crowd. "'Bill, you're too good at cards,' replied a lanky outlaw. "'Now, Jasper, you say that powerful sweet, and you look sweet, or I might take it to heart,' replied Black, with a sudden change of tone. Here it was again, that up-flashing passion. What Jasper saw fit to reply would mollify the outlaw, or it would not. There was an even balance.' "'No offense, Bill,' said Jasper, placidly, without moving. Bill grunted and forgot Jasper, but he seemed restless and dissatisfied. Duane knew him to be an inveterate gambler, and as Benson's place was out of running order, Black was like a fish on dry land. "'Well, if you all are afraid of the cards, what will you bet on?' he asked in disgust. "'Bill, I'll play you a game of mumbly-peg for two bits,' replied one. Black eagerly accepted. Betting to him was a serious matter. The game obsessed him, not the stakes. 
He entered into the mumbly-peg contest with a thoughtful mien and a corded brow. He won. Other comrades tried their luck with him and lost. Finally, when Bill had exhausted their supply of two-bit pieces, or their desire for that particular game, he offered to bet on anything. "'See that turtle-dove there?' he said, pointing. "'I'll bet he'll scare it one stone or he won't. Five pesos he'll fly or he won't fly when someone chucks a stone. Who'll take me up?' That appeared to be more than the gambling spirit of several outlaws could withstand. "'Take that. Easy money,' said one. "'Who's going to chuck the stone?' asked another. "'Anybody,' replied Bill. "'Well, I'll bet I can scare him with one stone,' said the first outlaw. "'We're in on that. Jim to fire the darnick,' chimed in the others. The money was put up, the stone thrown. The turtle-dove took flight, to the great joy of all the outlaws except Bill. "'I'll bet you all he'll come back to that tree inside of five minutes.' he offered imperturbably. Hereupon the outlaws did not show any laziness in their alacrity to cover Bill's money as it lay on the grass. Somebody had a watch, and they all sat down, dividing attention between the timepiece and the tree. The minutes dragged by to the accompaniment of various jocular remarks about a fool and his money. When four and three-quarter minutes had passed, a turtle-dove alighted on the cottonwood. Then ensued an impressive silence while Bill calmly pocketed the fifty dollars. But it wasn't the same dove, exclaimed one outlaw excitedly. This one's smaller, dustier, not so purple. Bill eyed the speaker loftily. Well, you'll have to catch the other one to prove that. Sabe, pard? Now I bet any gent here the fifty I won that I can scare that dove with one stone. No one offered to take his wager. "'Well, then, I bet any of you even money that you can't scare him with one stone.' Not proof against this chance, the outlaws made up a purse, in no wise disconcerted by Bill's contemptuous allusions to their banding together. The stone was thrown. The dove did not fly. Thereafter, in regard to that bird, Bill was unable to coax or scorn his comrades into any kind of wager. He tried them with a multiplicity of offers, and in vain. Then he appeared at a loss for some unusual and seductive wager. Presently a little ragged Mexican boy came along the river trail, a particularly starved and poor-looking little fellow. Bill called to him and gave him a handful of silver coins. Speechless, dazed, he went his way, hugging the money. "'I'll bet he drops some before he gets to the road,' declared Bill. I bet he runs. Hurry, you four-flush gamblers! Bill failed to interest any of his companions, and forthwith became sullen and silent. Strangely, his good humor departed in spite of the fact that he had won considerable. Duane, watching the disgruntled outlaw, marveled at him, and wondered what was in his mind. These men were more variable than children, as unstable as water, as dangerous as dynamite. "'Bill, I bet you ten you can't spill whatever's in the bucket that peon's packin,' said the outlaw called Jim. Black's head came up with the action of a hawk about to swoop. 
Duane glanced from Black to the road, where he saw a crippled peon carrying a tin bucket toward the river. This peon was a half-witted Indian who lived in a shack and did odd jobs for the Mexicans. Duane had met him often. "'Jim, I take you up,' replied Black. Something, perhaps a harshness in his voice, caused Duane to whirl. He caught a leaping gleam in the outlaw's eye. "'Oh, Bill, that's too fur a shot,' said Jasper, as Black rested an elbow on his knee and sighted over the long, heavy colt. The distance to the peon was about fifty paces, too far for even the most expert shot to hit a moving object so small as a bucket. Duane, marvelously keen in the alignment of sights, was positive that Black held too high. Another look at the hard face, now tense and dark with blood, confirmed Duane's suspicion that the outlaw was not aiming at the bucket at all. Duane leaped and struck the level gun out of his hand. Another outlaw picked it up. Black fell back astounded. Deprived of his weapon, he did not seem the same man, or else he was cowed by Duane's significant and formidable front. Sullenly he turned away without even asking for his gun. End of chapter This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray Chapter 8 What a contrast, Duane thought, the evening of that day presented to the state of his soul. The sunset lingered in golden glory over the distant Mexican mountains. Twilight came slowly. A faint breeze blew from the river cool and sweet. The late cooing of a dove and the tinkle of a cowbell were the only sounds. A serene and tranquil peace lay over the valley. Inside Duane's body there was strife. This third facing of a desperate man had thrown him off his balance. It had not been fatal, but it threatened so much. The better side of his nature seemed to urge him to die rather than to go on fighting or opposing ignorant, unfortunate, savage men. But the perversity of him was so great that it dwarfed reason, conscience. He could not resist it. He felt something dying in him. He suffered. Hope seemed far away. Despair had seized upon him, and was driving him into a reckless mood when he thought of Jenny. He had forgotten her. He had forgotten that he had promised to save her. He had forgotten that he meant to snuff out as many lives as might stand between her and freedom. The very remembrance sheared off his morbid introspection. She made a difference. How strange for him to realize that. He felt grateful to her. He had been forced into outlawry. She had been stolen from her people and carried into captivity. They had met in the river fastness, he to instill hope into her despairing life, she to be the means, perhaps, of keeping him from sinking to the level of her captors. He became conscious of a strong and beating desire to see her, talk with her. These thoughts had run through his mind while on his way to Mrs. Bland's house.
He had let Euchre go on ahead, because he wanted more time to compose himself. Darkness had about set in when he reached his destination. There was no light in the house. Mrs. Bland was waiting for him on the porch. She embraced him, and the sudden, violent, unfamiliar contact sent such a shock through him that he all but forgot the deep game he was playing. She, however, in her agitation did not notice his shrinking. From her embrace and the tender, incoherent words that flowed with it, he gathered that Euchre had acquainted her of his action with Black. "'He might have killed you,' she whispered, more clearly, and if Duane had ever heard love in a voice, he heard it then. It softened him. After all, she was a woman, weak, fated through her nature, unfortunate in her experience of life, doomed to unhappiness and tragedy. He met her advance so far that he returned the embrace and kissed her. Emotions such as she showed would have made any woman sweet, and she had a certain charm. It was easy, even pleasant, to kiss her. But Duane resolved that, whatever her abandonment might become, he would not go further than the lie she made him act. "'Buck, you love me?' she whispered. "'Yes, yes,' he burst out, eager to get it over, and even as he spoke he caught the pale gleam of Jenny's face through the window. He felt a shame he was glad she could not see. Did she remember that she had promised not to misunderstand any action of his? What did she think of him, seeing him out there in the dusk with this bold woman in his arms?' Somehow that dim sight of Jenny's pale face, the big dark eyes, thrilled him, inspired him to his hard task of the present. "'Listen, dear,' he said to the woman, and he meant his words for the girl. "'I'm going to take you away from this outlaw den if I have to kill Bland, Alloway, Rugg, anybody who stands in my path. You were dragged here. You are good, I know it.' There's happiness for you somewhere, a home among good people who will care for you. Just wait till... His voice trailed off and failed from excess of emotion. Kate Bland closed her eyes and leaned her head on his breast. Duane felt her heart beat against his, and conscience smote him a keen blow. If she loved him so much! But memory and understanding of her character hardened him again, and he gave her such commiseration as was due her sex, and no more. "'Boy, that's good of you,' she whispered. "'But it's too late. I'm done for. I can't leave Bland. All I ask is that you love me a little, and stop your gun-throwing.' The moon had risen over the eastern bulge of Dark Mountain, and now the valley was flooded with mellow light and shadows of cottonwoods wavered against the silver. Suddenly the clip-clop, clip-clop of hoofs caused Duane to raise his head and listen. Horses were coming down the road from the head of the valley. The hour was unusual for riders to come in. Presently the narrow, moonlit lane was crossed at its far end by black, moving objects. Two horses, Duane discerned. "'It's Blant!' whispered the woman, grasping Twain with shaking hands. "'You must run. No, he'd see you. That'd be worse. It's Bland. I know his horses trot.' 
"'But you said he wouldn't mind my calling here,' protested Duane. "'Euchre's with me. It'll be all right.' "'Maybe so,' she replied, with visible effort at self-control. Manifestly she had a great fear of Bland. "'If I could only think!' Then she dragged Duane to the door, pushed him in. "'Euchre, come out with me. Duane, you stay with the girl. I'll tell Bland you're in love with her. Jen, if you give us away, I'll wring your neck.' The swift action and fierce whisper told Duane that Mrs. Bland was herself again. Duane stepped close to Jenny, who stood near the window. Neither spoke, but her hands were outstretched to meet his own. They were small, trembling hands, cold as ice. He held them close, trying to convey what he felt, that he would protect her. She leaned against him, and they looked out of the window. Duane felt calm and sure of himself. His most pronounced feeling besides that for the frightened girl was a curiosity as to how Mrs. Bland would rise to the occasion. He saw the riders dismount down the lane and wearily come forward. A boy led away the horses. Euchre, the old fox, was talking loud and with remarkable ease, considering what he claimed was his natural cowardice. "'That was way back in the sixties, about the time of the war,' he was saying. "'Rustling cattle wasn't nothing then to what it is now. And times is rougher these days. This gun-throwing has come to be a disease.' Men have an itch for the draw, same as they used to have for poker. The only real gambler outside of greasers we ever had here was Bill, and I presume Bill is burning now. The approaching outlaws, hearing voices, halted a rod or so from the porch. Then Mrs. Bland uttered an exclamation, ostensibly meant to express surprise, and hurried out to meet them. She greeted her husband warmly and gave welcome to the other man. Duane could not see well enough in the shadow to recognize Blaine's companion, but he believed it was Alloway. "'Dog-tired we are, and starved,' said Bland heavily. "'Who's here with you?' "'That's Euchre on the porch. Duane is inside at the window with Jen,' replied Mrs. Bland. "'Duane!' he exclaimed. Then he whispered low, something Duane could not catch. "'Why, I asked him to come,' said the chief's wife. She spoke easily and naturally, and made no change in tone. "'Jen has been ailing. She gets thinner and whiter every day. Duane came here one day with Euchre, saw Jan, and went loony over pretty face, same as all you men. So I let him come.' Bland cursed low and deep under his breath. The other man made a violent action of some kind, and apparently was quieted by a restraining hand. "'Kate, you let Dway make love to Jenny?' queried Bland incredulously. "'Yes, I did,' replied the wife stubbornly. "'Why not? Jen's in love with him. If he takes her away and marries her, she can be a decent woman.' Bland kept silent a moment, then his laugh pealed out loud and harsh. "'Jess, did you get that? Well, by God, what do you think of my wife?' "'She's lying, or she's crazy,' replied Alloway, and his voice carried an unpleasant ring. Mrs. Bland promptly and indignantly told her husband's lieutenant to keep his mouth shut. "'Ha, ha, ha, ha!' 
rolled out Bland's laugh. Then he led the way to the porch, his spurs clinking, the weapons he was carrying rattling, and he flopped down on a bench. "'How are you, boss?' asked Euchre. "'Hello, old man. I'm well, but all in.' Alloway slowly walked on to the porch and leaned against the rail. He answered Euchre's greeting with a nod. Then he stood there, a dark, silent figure. Mrs. Bland's full voice and eager questioning had a tendency to ease the situation. Bland replied briefly to her, reporting a remarkably successful trip. Duane thought it was time to show himself. He had a feeling that Bland and Alloway would let him go for the moment. They were plainly nonplussed, and Alloway seemed sullen, brooding. "'Jenny,' whispered Duane, "'that was clever of Mrs. Bland. We'll keep up the deception. Any day now, be ready.' She pressed close to him, and a barely audible, "'Hurry!' came breathing into his ear. "'Good night, Jenny,' he said aloud. "'Hope you feel better to-morrow.' Then he stepped out into the moonlight and spoke. Bland returned the greeting, and though he was not amiable, he did not show resentment. "'Met Jasper as I rode in,' said Bland presently. "'He told me you made Bill Black mad, and there's liable to be a fight. What did you go off the handle about?' Duane explained the incident. "'I'm sorry I happened to be there,' he went on. "'It wasn't my business.' "'Scurvy trick that had been,' muttered Bland. You did right. All the same, Duane, I want you to stop quarreling with my men. If you were one of us, that'd be different. I can't keep my men from fighting. But I'm not called on to let an outsider hang around my camp and plug my rustlers. I guess I'll have to be hitting the trail for somewhere, said Duane. Why not join my band? You've got a bad start already, Duane, and if I know this border you'll never be a respectable citizen again. You're a born killer. I know every bad man on this frontier. More than one of them has told me that something exploded in their brain, and when sense came back there lay another dead man. It's not so with me. I've done a little shooting, too, but I never wanted to kill another man just to rid myself of the last one. My dead man don't sit on my chest at night. That's the gunfighter's trouble. He's crazy. He has to kill a new man. He's driven to it to forget the last one. But I'm no gunfighter, protested Duane. Circumstances made me— No doubt, interrupted Bland with a laugh. Circumstances made me a rustler. You don't know yourself. You're young— You've got a temper. Your father was one of the most dangerous men Texas ever had. I don't see any other career for you. Instead of going it alone, a lone wolf, as the Texans say, why not make friends with other outlaws? You'll live longer. Euchre squirmed in his seat. Boss, I've been giving the boy exactly that same line of talk. That's why I took him into bunk with me. If he makes pards among us, there won't be any more trouble. And he'd be a grand feller for the gang. I've seen Wild Bill Hickok throw a gun, and Billy the Kid, and Hardin, and Chess here, 
all the fastest men on the border. And with apologies to present company, I'm here to say Duane has them all skinned. His draw is different. You can't see how he does it. Euchre's admiring praise served to create an effective little silence. Alloway shifted uneasily on his feet, his spurs jangling faintly, and did not lift his head. Bland seemed thoughtful. Oh, "'That's about the only qualification I have to make me eligible for your band,' said Duane easily. "'It's good enough,' replied Bland shortly. "'Will you consider the idea?' I'll think it over. Good night. He left the group, followed by Euchre. When they reached the end of the lane, and before they had exchanged a word, Bland called Euchre back. Duane proceeded slowly along the moonlit road to the cabin, and sat down under the cottonwoods to wait for Euchre. The night was intense and quiet, a low hum of insects giving the effect of a congestion of life. The beauty of the soaring moon the ebony cannons of shadow under the mountain, the melancholy serenity of the perfect night, made Duane shudder in the realization of how far aloof he now was from enjoyment of these things. Never again so long as he lived could he be natural. His mind was clouded. His eye and ear henceforth must register impressions of nature, but the joy of them had fled. Still, as he sat there with a foreboding of more and darker work ahead of him, there was yet a strange sweetness left to him, and it lay in thought of Jenny. The pressure of her cold little hands lingered in his. He did not think of her as a woman, and he did not analyze his feelings. He just had vague, dreamy thoughts and imaginations that were interspersed in the constant and stern revolving of plans to save her. A shuffling step roused him. Euchre's dark figure came crossing the moonlit grass under the cottonwoods. The moment the outlaw reached him, Duane saw that he was laboring under great excitement. It scarcely affected Duane. He seemed to be acquiring patience, calmness, strength. "'Bland kept you pretty long,' he said. "'Wait till I get my breath,' replied Euchre. He sat silent a little while, fanning himself with a sombrero, though the night was cool, and then he went into the cabin to return presently with a lighted pipe. "'Fine night,' he said, and his tone further acquainted Duane with Euchre's quaint humor. "'Fine night for love affairs, by gum.' "'I'd noticed that,' rejoined Duane dryly. Well, I'm a son of a gun if I didn't stand and watch Bland choke his wife till her tongue stuck out, and she got black in the face. No, ejaculated Duane. Hope to die if I didn't. Buck, listen to this here yarn. When I got back to the porch, I seen Bland was waking up. He'd been too fagged out to figure much. Alloway and Kate had gone in the house where they lit up the lamps. I heard Kate's high voice, but Alloway never chirped. He's not the talking kind, and he's damn dangerous when he's that way. Bland asked me some questions right from the shoulder. I was ready for them, and I swore the moon was green cheese. He was satisfied. Bland always trusted me, and liked me too, I reckon. I hated to lie black that way, 
but he's a hard man with bad intentions toward Jenny, and I'd double-cross him any day. Then he went into the house. Jenny had gone to her little room, and Bland called her to come out. She said she was undressing, and he ordered her to put her clothes back on. Then, Buck, his next move was some surprising. He deliberately thronged a gun on Kate. Yes, sir, he pointed his big blue colt right at her, and he says, I've a mind to blow out your brains. Go ahead, says Kate, cool as could be. You lied to me, he roars. Kate laughed in his face. Bland slammed the gun down and made a grab for her. She fought him, but wasn't a match for him, and he got her by the throat. He choked her till I thought she was strangled. Alloway made him stop. She flopped down on the bed and gasped for a while. When she come to, them hard-shelled cusses went after her, trying to make her give herself away. I think Bland was jealous. He suspected she got thick with you and was fooling him. I reckon that's a sore feeling for a man to have, to guess pretty nice, but not to be sure. Bland gave it up after a while, and then he cussed and raved at her. One saying of his is worth pinning in your sombrero. It ain't nothing to kill a man. I don't need much for that. But I want to know, you hussy. Then he went in and dragged poor Jen out. She'd had time to dress. He was so mad he hurt her sore leg. You know Jen got that injury fighting off one of them devils in the dark. And when I seen Bland twist her, hurt her, I had a queer hot feeling deep down in me, and for the only time in my life I wished I was a gunfighter. Well, Jan amazed me. She was whiter'n a sheet, and her eyes were big and starey, but she had nerve. First time I ever seen her show any. Jenny, he said, my wife said Duane came here to see you. I believe she's lying. I think she's been carrying on with him, and I want to know. If she's been, and you tell me the truth, I'll let you go. I'll send you out to Huntsville, where you can communicate with your friends. I'll give you money. That must have been hell of a minute for Kate Bland. If ever I seen death in a man's eye, I seen it in Bland's. He loves her. That's the strange part of it. "'Has Duane been coming here to see my wife?' Bland asked fierce-like. "'No,' said Jenny. "'He's been after you?' "'Yes.' "'He has fallen in love with you? Kate said that.' "'I... Uh, I'm not. I don't know. He hasn't told me.' "'But you're in love with him?' "'Yes,' she said. "'And, Buck, if you only could have seen her.' She thronged up her head, and her eyes were full of fire. Bland seemed dazed at sight of her. And Alloway, why, that little skunk of an outlaw cried right out. He was hit plumb center. He's in love with Jen. And the look of her then was enough to make any feller quit. He just slunk out of the room. I told you, mebby, that he'd been trying to get Bland to marry Jen to him. So even a tough like Alloway can love a woman. Bland stamped up and down the room. He sure was dying hard. 
"'Jenny,' he said, once more turning to her, "'you swear in fear of your life that you're telling truth? "'Kate's not in love with Duane. "'She's let him come to see you. "'There's been nothing between them?' "'No, I swear,' answered Jenny, "'and Bland sat down like a man licked. "'Go to bed, you white-faced,' Bland choked on some word or other. A bad one, I reckon, and he positively shook in his chair. Jenny went then, and Kate began to have hysterics, and your Uncle Euchre ducked his nut out of the door and come home. Duane did not have a word to say at the end of Euchre's long harangue. He experienced relief. As a matter of fact, he had expected a good deal worse. He thrilled at the thought of Jenny perjuring himself to save that abandoned woman. What mysteries these feminine creatures were! Well, there's where our little deal stands now," resumed Euchre meditatively. "You know, Buck, as well as me, that if I, you'd been some feller who hadn't shown he was a wonder with a gun, you'd now be full of lead. If you'd happened to kill Bland and Alloway, I reckon you'd be as safe on this here border as you would in Santone. Such is gun fame in this land of the draw." End of chapter. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.